Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we talk with a creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Kristen Brandt, Arts Industry Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Peter Zapletel. Peter is an award-winning puppeteer and artistic director for Puppet Arts Theater, a nonprofit arts organization. In recognition of his many years of dedication to the art of puppetry performance, the state of Mississippi is recognizing him with the Governor's Award for Excellence in the Performing Arts. Today, we're going to talk about Peter's work both on stage and on screen through years of collaboration with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So you grew up in former uh, in Slovakia, which has a... Uh, worldwide recognition for puppetry tradition that endure to this day. Was that something that at the time you noticed was unique to your home? Not really (laughs) (laughs) Uh, unique. Uh, Well, every uh, larger city had a professional puppet theater uh, because there were, at that time it was Czechoslovakia, and there were 13 different puppet theaters that were uh, full-time. They did not, they, they did travel, but some of them did not, like the one in Prague, of course. <laughs> but uh, ours, where I grew up, uh, had a certain area where they had to move and perform at different cultural uh, houses. And uh, in Zilina, where I grew up, there was one oh, just walking distance away from where I lived. Yeah, I think that um, it's so fascinating the things that we grow up with that we don't realize are really unique to where we grew up. Uh, I uh, frequently have this experience of, is this a Mississippi thing? So, (laughs) (laughs) or is this something that people do everywhere? Um, How did you develop an interest in puppeteering uh, and or what motivated you to pursue it as a career? Well, it's a long story because I have many years behind me. But uh, basically, uh, my parents lived in uh, Nitra, which is a small, smaller city in Slovakia. But when I was three years old, we had moved to Žilina. And my father was associated with the local soccer club. Huh? Soccer? What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, soccer was and still is what moves uh, everything around. Uh, At that time, uh, he was 
Okay, when I say manager, that doesn't mean he was coaching. He was working behind the scene, uh, making sure that uh, the players had everything what they needed. But that was a part-time job that... Uh, because his full-time job was managing a restaurant and a hotel. So he got around a lot. And uh, But because of his soccer interest, uh, one of the puppeteers who really established the puppetry tradition in Gilina was also a soccer coach. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he was working mostly with youth. And uh, it was after the war, the spaces were not uh, easily available. So he had set up his marionette stage at one of the spa open spaces, I mean, uh, open rooms and a stadium. So my father saw it and he said, oh, why don't we go and uh, look at the puppets? <laughs> it's all his fault. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was taken backstage and uh, the marionettes were hanging there and I could pull the strings. And uh, that kind of stuck with me. <laughs> so you didn't really have any family who came from that tradition of puppetry uh, performances and carving? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so you mostly approached that through more formal instruction. Uh, I understand that you graduated with a master's in puppetry from the Academy of Performing Arts in Prague. Oh, yeah, but that came uh, much, much later, because there is a space when I was three, four or five, and I got all my friends to participate in performance. Uh, I even took my little puppet theater to one of the gardens that belonged to one of the grandmothers. And, and uh, everybody who knew me had to do puppets. <laughs> That's, you know, it's really funny. Then uh, when I moved, uh, I mean, by, by being older, uh, it became more formal. And uh, going through, okay, it would be here, it would be high school. There was a wonderful space which used to be an old house, well, old house, a big house, Renaissance house that was taken by the state and given to the uh, kids as their house. So there uh, we have again developed a puppet theater and we did performances and had uh, wonderful, fun, uh, wonderful fun. Uh, still, when I meet some of my friends, they say, do you remember when we did the, this and this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at the same time, the puppet theater 
the professional puppy theater was just around the corner from this house. So it was all kind of... Everywhere. Know, everywhere, yeah. And uh, I spent a lot of times uh, backstage of this big theater. And uh, I think I saw more performances from behind than from the front. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I just felt like at home backstage. That must have been why it felt so easy to pick them up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, even if it wasn't a family business, you kind of made it one. Uh, you have a lot of family support in your creative process. Can you tell me how you met your wife, Yamila, and how you began to perform together? Oh, well, uh, while I was studying in Prague, uh, and that's kind of crazy story again, <laughs> but to make a phone call at that time from Prague to Zilina takes a couple of extra steps. So uh, one day I got a notice in my dorm that uh, I need to call home. So I called home. My father said, okay, uh, I need your ID card because we are applying for going to America. Okay, I knew that was on a radar, but, uh, you know, the fun part was that that was the day. And because the day I had to go through the post office to make those phone calls, there was this cute gal <laughs> who was the operator. <laughs> so... What was I supposed to do, you know? So eventually, uh, on that evening, I asked her if I can help her or on a, if I can go with her on the way home to her home. So, yeah, okay. So that's the beginning <laughs> that here I was making and new friends, and at the same time, I was sending my papers to apply for uh, to move to America. And to move to America, you need to have special visas. So it was all happening at the same time. But of course, at that time, <laughs> you can apply for anything you want, but it takes a long time to get it. So uh, my father had to apply like three times before they agreed. So that was oh, so. By the time I was already out of the uh, school, and I was working at that puppet theater in Gilina <laughs> uh, full-time. So luckily they had an opening, so uh, I could spend the year there. Uh, but then again, uh, sometime early in March, I was called to the 
office of the theater director, and he said, I'm sorry we are enjoying your presence here, but we are setting up a new season, and you are not going to be here, so what am I supposed to do with you? <laughs> Bye-bye. And, of course, in few days past that, we got our visas. So Good timing. I, good timing. I was telling the director that he should have asked me sooner <laughs> to leave the theater. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Both you and Yamila uh, moved to New York in 1970? Okay, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> By that time, we have dated like three years. And... We got our passports, but we did not have visas to America, which was another problem because when we applied the first time, the rules were different. And my mother, my mother's cousin, was living in New York and he applied on our behalf for those visas. But by the time we got those passports to go out, they changed it that it had to be immediate family. Mm. <laughs> oh. Okay. And Yarmila was still in Prague. We took off and uh, we were told, you got your passports, you go. No visas, but you go. Well, my uncle, who lived uh, in Paris, said, okay, come on here and wait for the visas here. So that's what we did. And it took a couple of months again uh, to get the visas. But then when we had the visas, my uncle said, uh-uh, I will kiss your bride before you do. <laughs> I said, how can, how can you do that? The Air India flies Prague, London, New York. We are in Paris. Darn it, wouldn't you believe that there was a strike in London and the airport was closed, so the plane had to go and st stop in Paris. <laughs> uh, so nobody won that bet. Everybody won that bet. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio, or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app, or download the MPB Public Media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kristen Brandt, Arts Industry Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Peter Zapletel in advance of the Governor's Arts Awards, which will take place February 8th of 2024 at the two museums in downtown Jackson. Peter, before we left, we were talking a little bit about your early days in New York, uh, and you and your troupe, the Empire State Puppet Theater, were recognized in the New York Times for your performance at the Festival of Puppeteers of America. Um, and I thought this was a really fascinating quote that uh, only half a dozen nylon scarves <laughs> to suggest the water, waves, and scenery along the shore, which at one point seemed to transform into birds of paradise. And that sounds so magical. I hate that I was not born yet and missed it. So <laughs> how do you uh, really come to using the kind of objects that you can get from a local convenience store with no modifications to such great success as a puppet? Oh, my. Uh, well, actually, we are still kind of using some of those, well, not those scarves, but uh, we have another puppet that is made from scarves, and uh, actually that's the one which we would like to present at the award evening. Uh, well, why scarves? Because they move. They, you know, they, they have the beauty of their own movement. So uh, that was fairly easy. Uh, but if I can go a little bit back about that performance, uh, when we moved to New York, finally landed there, and Jan Mila also landed there, and uh, we immediately started to build a show. Now, which show would you build? Of course, Peter and the Wolf, because it doesn't need uh, any speaking parts. But then also that was short, so we added, uh, what about doing the story of the river, the Moldau, that goes through uh, Prague and through Czechia? So, uh, in that music, uh, there is a whole story. So we did not even have to make up the story, just kind of illustrate it. And, uh, but even before then, there was an interesting uh, happening because when we did the first version of Peter and the Wolf, we have signed up with the puppeteers of America, the puppeteers who lived in New York, and we did this show that Peter and the Wolf that was uh, kind of with us all visible. It was different than anything else. Today it's normal, but at that time it was kind of progressive. So we did the show for the puppetry guild in New York, and everybody was, yay, 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 <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, except for one little lady. She came to me and pushed me into the corner, 
and said, you came from Czechoslovakia. You need to do better than this. <laughs> Whoa. But, okay, so what we did was we changed it to the show to use of the black theater technique that we are still using today. And uh, that is the technique when people are all dressed in black velvet, covered from head to toes in velvet, and the puppets on the scarves, in this case, were right in front of us with all the light just channeled into a narrow stream. So what you see are the objects that are in that stream, and you do not see people behind it. So that's the magic, <laughs> <laughs> which was a novelty at that time. Well, and I've seen you, uh, in addition to scarves, I've seen you make uh, puppets out of broken umbrellas before <laughs> turning them into these really uh, elegant ballerinas really effortlessly. Uh, I think that was fascinating. That was the first time we met, actually. Mm -hmm. um, we were doing these tours of schools and libraries, doing performances for uh, grant outreach. So it's been, I think, five or six years since then. <laughs> if not more. <laughs> um, are there any specific types of puppets or puppetry styles that you specialize in? Well, okay. Because we go to a limited number of schools, and some of the schools uh, want us over and over, as you know, and... Uh, they want to see, or we want to introduce them to something new. So each play that we put on, on tour, is different. You know, my wife says, when are we going to do something what we've done already? <laughs> well, that's boring. <laughs> and... Uh, so, uh, so now we use marionettes, we use rat puppets, hand puppets, shadow puppets, in, and we try to have the repertoire that would be as varied as possible. So we have Japanese stories, we have uh, Russian, German... Uh, Anansi. Anansi, African, yes. So... And it's also a lot of enjoyment for us. And uh, for us, it means discovering new things. So we really, really enjoy that part. Uh, you have several productions based on folk tales from around the world. Uh, mm -hmm. Anansi with Africa, Momotaro with Japan, uh, ah, Pinocchio yeah. with Italy, of course. Uh, what kind of, uh, what, what is it about these kind of stories that have captured your interest uh, or that make them particularly good to stage? Well, every story has its own charm and uh, taking that charm and moving it on stage into three dimension is I'm sorry it's a lot of fun 
we are really, really enjoying what we were doing. And uh, I, I think that once we enjoy it, we hope that the audience will enjoy it. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, one time after the show, we, when there is time, uh, we try to have a little discussions or questions and maybe answers uh, session. And there is one that I still remember. And that was one kid after the show says, how does it feel to be up on stage? <laughs> okay, why don't you come up? <laughs> and we let her come up on stage. So again, that was a really, really fun moment that we enjoyed. Then of course we gave her one of the puppets and let her play with it. So I think she had a really nice time. <laughs> I'm sure she did. Um, we owe so much to puppetry today, including a lot of animated films, because one of the first in instances of film animation mm -hmm. was a shadow puppet film, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which debuted in 1926, and that's based on the tales of the Arabian Nights. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And there's so many shows and films that use puppeteering to really great effect, like The NeverEnding Story or Gremlins or Little Shop of Horrors, uh, the whole host of Jim Henson productions. Do you have any favorite moments of seeing puppetry in film that inspired or fascinated you? Well, actually, that brings me to memory the little French movie called Red Balloon. Uh -huh. Yes, I'm recalling this. <laughs> I think I've seen it one time. <laughs> well, it was a short, but guess what? It got Oscar. It's the only show, short movie that got an Oscar. So, and it won a lot of other uh, prizes. It won in Cannes which has a huge festival, and uh, I think, I cannot prove it, but I think that movie inspired many puppeteers because I know three or four puppeteers who have a little number with a little red balloon <laughs> and a clown. So... <laughs> It, that's where the inspiration comes from. You know, this... Uh, what we have is, the way we used it, uh, is that we have a little uh, yellow something that is made of feathers, or a feather boa, and uh, it's, da it's doing its number until it's interrupted by... The red balloon. So then the balloon teases this little yellow creature who is trying to catch up with the balloon. And eventually, just like in a movie, they fly away together. So, and uh, there 
was, sorry to say, a German puppeteer, Albrecht Drauser, who was the master of marionettes. But not only that, each piece that he did was a drama in itself. So it was not just, okay, and everybody applauds. No, there was a story. And complications. <laughs> yes. Well, just like with the balloon, you have complications. <laughs> that not always it will listen. So, uh, yeah, he had a clown who was also chasing a balloon who was teasing him. Then uh, there are a couple of other numbers. But, again, the inspiration comes from a movie outside of the puppetry. Well, I bring up film because, unless I'm mistaken, that's what ended up bringing you to Mississippi to become the puppeteer in residence at the local PBS station here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. What does being the puppeteer in residence entail? Oh, well, whatever you make it. Uh, it's uh, when I came in... The ETV, as we knew it then, uh, was one year old. And uh, the mandate they had was to put together education and television because of the success of Sesame Street. Okay? If it weren't for the Sesame Street, I would be probably somewhere on the street. But uh, that opened up so many do doors for the puppeteers. And uh, Jim Henson did tremendous help. He gave tremendous help to puppetry. Uh, the Henson Foundation still offers uh, grants. Uh, yeah, and I think... I have received one to do the story of Golem at uh, Millsaps College, which was, again, a great experience working with uh, a big group of people and uh, managing it, putting it all together. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kristen Brandt from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with our guest, Peter Zaplatel. So we were talking a little bit before the break about how you came to Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and you have over 30 years uh, with MPB creating instructional and special programs both with and without puppets before you retired. What kind of productions did you work on over the years? Oh, gosh. Uh, Many, because even though I started as a puppeteer, uh, eventually I have moved up the ladder to become (laughs) a director of production. But the puppets still stayed within the realm of Mississippi ETV, uh, because uh, Diane Hartman had really I- ideas and she really liked uh, using the puppets. And, uh, oh, and uh, there were just still in- programs that we could do, even though we did not produce the instructional programs that were pure instruction. You see, the early ones were like, open the book and look at the pictures. Tie your shoe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, that was still fun. You know, we did the math factory and, uh, oh gosh, just way too many uh, <laughs> to remember. And, uh, but during the last few years, uh, we were working on a couple of projects like, uh, okay, Dr. Tic Tac was part of Funny Bones. That's it. Okay, Funny Bones was one of those health projects, and uh, it, I don't know if it was 10 or 15 programs, but uh, it was the series was using puppets, and uh, uh, it was based or funded by a federal grant, and at the end, We've noticed that we still have some money left. So that doesn't happen very often, does it? No. (laughs) So we came up with the idea of these one-minute songs starring Dr. Tic Tac because the guy who was performing him was an extraordinary talent. So we built it for him, and uh, we were doing like, uh, why do we drink water? Okay, water, let's let's go to the gym and uh, get the footage and show how the exercise is important to your health. And uh, we had, that was, so much fun that eventually we found additional money 
to create additional tic-tac minutes. And uh, those original ones uh, got us the first Oscar, Oscar, I'm sorry, first Emmy. Of five Emmys. What? First of five, well, right? Okay, I'm looking at the national. Yes. <laughs> Those others came from... Uh, Regional? Regionals, yes. But they were just as good. But, uh, you know, when you start with something good, you know, people kind of want to continue. So that's why we had additional opportunities to create these songs. Uh, we had a wonderful composer to do that and to do the music. Michael Earl, who was Dr. Tic Tac, also wrote uh, the libretto, the words for the songs. So it was kind of a, a cooperation. And again, uh, we were going, the whole thing started that they were already in studio uh, do, trying to do one of the songs. And I was with uh, Karen Wing, who was very, very, very talented designer. And we were, I was there in her office and we were listening to the music. And I said, no, this is too good <laughs> to leave it like that. No, we are going home. We will think about it. And then we come back and figure out what needs to be done to be just as good as that music and the words and Michael. So that's how the first series was uh, created. I think that uh, you kind of touched on one of the main challenges of puppetry, that everything has to be controlled from building and manipulating the puppets to crafting the stage for them to interact, to the music and writing the scripts. Yes. What tools or technologies were available to you in conjunction with puppeteering to enhance the visual effects or overall impact in film? Well, I think... It's really the puppet that behaves that people who are watching it are enjoying it. Okay, a good puppet show is to be enjoyed by the adults just as by kids. You know, I have never had need to do something for adults because I considered the children children audience just as important and uh, well uh, <laughs> when I was at school you know we had a lot of theory and we learned a lot of about Stanislavski and all that wonderful stuff but also he said something that I remembered him to say as one of his saying was that we have to perform for the children better than for adults. So, okay, <laughs> nice saying, but uh, we needed to do that. 
Okay, that's how you bring the puppetry up, not by going down to the quote-unquote kid level. I mean, yes, you have to be kid at heart, but you have to be better than that. Okay, so when the kids watch it, they feel like they are part of it, and it kind of reminds me that I was watching my two grandsons, and they were going nuts over some kind of a video game, and I was <laughs> like, no, please, please, please. But it's the interactivity that they are really enjoying. Unfortunately, I'm not sure how much they were getting out of it, but that now I wish I could start again from the my early ages and think, think about the need for the real interactivity, even though maybe we did have it, not by kids screaming and calling and etc etc, but by thinking and being part of the show. When uh, when I was first getting to see your performances of Princess and the Pea, um, yeah. which I think I saw about six or seven times, oh, no. uh, <laughs> uh, what I, I I never got tired of it because you know beyond being familiar with the story, uh, and, and you kind of get to know what to expect, I get to see how you change each performance to fit the audience. Mm -hmm. um, that audience participation can be so important for a puppet performance, and even the ones that are televised often have that call and pause for a response from mm -hmm. the from the youth audience, even if there's no way the character like Dora on the screen is going to know what you're saying back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, interactivity in today's world is what moves everything that moves children and it moves adults so have you considered doing a program uh that was entirely aimed at adults you mean puppet show mm -hmm. uh golem was about this close mm -hmm. but again i had a need to do that and uh, edward cohen who was the staff writer here at dtv he now lives in Ecuador. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we are still in touch. He wrote uh, the script. And uh, again, it was, he wrote the script. Uh, oh, uh, Sandy McNeil designed the puppets. We still have them. If anybody's interested and wants to put it back on, call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you've utilized a lot of really interesting partnerships throughout your career um, uh, with uh, Mississippi Puppetry Guild and the Puppet Arts Theater. Uh, what was it like putting on a show uh, with these organizations uh, versus doing something kind of more independent? Well, uh, it's... Or are you uh, puppet arts theater? 
You said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but I always was looking for somebody to work with because otherwise it would be boring. You know, the other day somebody said uh, was going to make some easy puppets and uh, I said, mm, I don't know how to make an easy puppet. And then somebody said, yeah, but what about your ballerina or what about uh, this or that? I said, oh, yeah, but I just have an idea, and then I give it to my wife to figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> and she does a wonderful uh, job. I mean, if it weren't for her, as I usually say, our puppets would be naked. So... <laughs> And she had this wonderful skill that she brought from Prague. Uh, she just loves to sew. And she challenges herself to coming up with the costuming. Uh, one costuming workshop I know she took was from mother of Oz. Oh, Frank Oz? Frank Oz. His mother was a seamstress. Mm. <laughs> and one, I'm one sure that the... worked out well for him, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like for Jim Henson. <laughs> Are there any puppets that you created that hold a special place of significance for you personally that you particularly enjoyed to operate or characterize? Well... Yes, uh, there is a, or there was a puppet of a Turkish king in uh, the flying trunk, which I think was the best puppet I have ever put together. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.